Hey, good morning again, friends. Um, in the month of January, we've been spending some time in the book of Jonah. And the story, the story of Jonah and the whale, is definitely one of the most amazing, astonishing uh, stories in the entire Bible. But the final chapter, which we are going to sink into today, is often overlooked and easily forgotten. Most folks remember, if you've heard the story before, that Jonah heard from God, ran as far as he could in the opposite direction, big ocean storm, overboard, gets gulped down from a, by a fish, prays, repents, gets spewed forth onto dry land, just being polite for the kids. And then, that, that's about all anybody remembers about Jonah. If you're an advanced Bible reader, or if you were here last week and heard Andy's sermon, you may recall that Jonah went on to follow God's directions and preach to the city of Nineveh, peopled by the heinous Assyrians, who were the world's greatest, most dominant, and terrifying power at the time. Jonah preaches, and this amazing thing happens. Virtually everybody, from the king of Nineveh down to the cows, repents and changes their ways and goes back to God. It's like the most successful sermon ever. And then there's Jonah chapter 4. Here's how it begins, right after Jonah's uh, amazing success as a preacher. To Jonah, this result, everybody repenting and coming back to God, to Jonah, this seemed a great evil. What? And Jonah became angry. He prayed to God, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, I knew, God, that you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. It's hard to say this with grit teeth. Abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die rather than to live. And then the Lord replied, if you would be the sane voice of God here, is it right for you to be angry? God's mercy and grace are shown to the great city of Nineveh, and this just royally yanks Jonah's chain. A great evil, he calls it. See, Jonah hoped in his heart that God would be burning mad at Nineveh that these enemies and oppressors of Jonah's home country, Israel, that they were going to get it from God. But no, they don't get it from God. They get a helping of kindness and forgiveness. And now Jonah is burning up inside. It is not too much to say that the nation of Israel hated the nation of Assyria. And Jonah demonstrates that he as an individual Israelite believed the collective narrative, and hated the Assyrians as well. Last, the scene like Jonah is a horrible person. This is the natural state of human beings everywhere the world round. We are tribal. And what I mean by that is it's relatively easy for us to understand and love and protect those who are like us, those who are in our family or in our church, or work for the same company that we do. And we tend to misunderstand and demonize, and at our worst, even pursue conflict and harm for those who are different. Them, those people, 
the outsiders. Like our language belies us on this. You're older than I am? Say something I don't like? Okay, boomer. You're younger than me? Say something I don't like? You're just a stupid millennial. You voted for who? You're a democratic socialist? Do you know what that means? You support what cause? You're doing what? I'm pretty sure that's immoral. I learned this as a small child in Little League. When I was 10 years old, I was drafted by a team called the Registry that had beautiful light blue uniforms. Our arch rivals were the model construction team. It was a construction business. As a 10-year-old, I imagine they just made models all day. But model construction, and they had the most heinously ugly mustard yellow jerseys. And those of us on the blue team just loathed those yellow jerseys. They were the worst horrible individuals played for that baseball team. Then at the end of the year, you know, the Little League put a bunch of us together on the same team, so it was some of us with blue shirts playing with the yellow shirts, and we played for District 9, so then we all got maroon shirts, and I was like, wow, these guys from Model Construction are actually pretty awesome, and they're good at baseball. Like, who knew? And then we turned all of our hatred toward the green jerseys of District 11. <laughs> Lime green jerseys, pathetic. Right? Like, this is how we are as human beings. We just find one thing that's different or to disagree about, and we can just add on to the list of reasons why those people stink against this inescapable human us-them attitude is one of the main themes of the Old Testament. And Jonah, through gritted teeth, professes it here. God, you are gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents in sending calamity. This is true not just for the insiders, but also for the outsiders. Jonah wants, above all, for Nineveh to become an exhibition of God's justice. Like, get them, God, you know the horrible things they do. Instead, Nineveh becomes a case study in God's kindness and grace and forgiveness. Here's the astounding thing if you read the whole Old Testament, even though there's a lot of enmity between Israel and the other nations. The God of Israel is inclined to save his enemies rather than to destroy them. Praise heaven for this. Probably 99% of us sitting in this room today are Gentile outsiders, and because of the blood of Jesus, that came to wash clean even all the outsiders we are here worshiping today. Like, this is no small thing. But it drove Jonah crazy. And because it's driving Jonah crazy, now it's Jonah himself who sounds like God's enemy. But if Jonah is God's enemy, what is God going to do for him? Is, gonna, is God going to send him a preacher? Is going to have kindness on him? Or is it curtains? Two things happen for Jonah now from God. Number one, God asked him a question. Dude, is it right for you to be this angry? No reply from Jonah. Like, that's not a good sign. Usually if somebody asks you a pretty innocent question and you're too hot-headed to even get something out, bad sign. Second, God is going to put Jonah inside of a living parable and hope that the message gets through to his prophet. Here's how the parable goes. Jonah had gone out 
and sat down at a place east of the city, east of Nineveh. And there he made himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade and waited to see what was going to happen to the city. Personally, I think Jonah is still there. You know, his sermon was 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned, even though repented. they repented. I'm thinking he's still there. Like, maybe, maybe God is still going to get them. I'll watch from this hill, and maybe there will be laid waste. And then, here comes the parable. The Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. This is the first time in the entire book of Jonah that he is content or happy or very happy about anything. I mean, this guy has been disgruntled from the starting gun. This is the first time he is happy about something, and Jonah is super delighted just with this plant growing over his head and a little shade to keep him cool under the 110-degree Middle Eastern sun. The problem with this, though, is that because Jonah is happy with this plant, he has ventured into the territory where he is actually a little bit attached to the plant, right? And when you grow attached to something, that makes you a little vulnerable. The parable continues. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when that Middle Eastern sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind from the desert. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, please be the voice of sanity again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is. It is, Jonah said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. I mean, I was a bad teenager. I mean, at times I said stuff like borderline on this, but like, he is the worst, is he not? Jonah? So Jonah goes east of the city, hoping the worst for Nineveh, and then God deals with him. Jonah makes a shelter, a wood frame construction around himself. The Hebrew word for this is significant and worth noting. It is the word sakot, which means a framed shelter. In Old Testament Judaism, there are three main feasts, the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, where the whole nation would come to Jerusalem, pitch their little tents or shelters, and worship the Lord. Now, the shelters were representative, representative of God's provision and protection for you as a child of God. They were symbolic of God's protection of the whole of Israel, God's chosen people, and they were symbolic of God's protecting his most precious of promises that he would raise up a ruler out of the house and line of David that David's line would never fail as long as there is history. So this protection. And Jonah puts up a sekot, as if Jonah is saying, like, God, I need some protection here. And what happens? God obliges. Just like God provided a fish to swallow Jonah in the ocean, God provides, same word, a plant to grow up and shade Jonah's head. He is so happy. Finally, a moment of relief. And then the next morning, God provides a little bug. And it just gnaws at the base of the plant. 
And as quickly as this shelter took shape around Jonah, it's gone. And now this for Jonah is absolutely the last straw. For the third time in this chapter, the words out of Jonah's mouth is, kill me now. For the first time in the story after God asked Jonah a question, like, really? Is it right for you to be so mad about this plant? For the first time, Jonah answers one of God's questions and ups the ante. Yes, because you have moved, removed the protection, God, it is right for me to be this. I can't say the words in church that are actually in there. Bleep, bleepity, bleepin' angry. That's how angry Jonah is. He's mad that his personal protection is gone. He's mad that the Assyrians are forgiven and maybe they're going to take away the protection that's around God's chosen people, Israel. Like, is that protection going to go away? And sure enough, before too long, like, Assyria is going to wipe out 10 of the tribes of Israel. So he's not unfounded. And worst of all, Jonah is thinking, does this mean the kindness of God for those people? Does it mean that God's most precious promise that someone from the house and line of David is going to rule and rescue all of us? Is it going to negate that promise? If all of that gets wiped out, God, I'm out. Jonah despairs of life because God has acted unexpectedly. Has that ever happened to you? You think God is one way, but then circumstances change in your life and it shakes you to the core of what God might be like? This is a horrible thought, but if that happens, if a circumstance changes in your life or a blessing is removed that you are counting on, and if that utterly destroys your relationship with God, that change is proof that something other than God was really your God all along. For example, let's say a year from now, I'm no longer a pastor at Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church. Like something happens where it makes that impossible. And that wrecks my faith, and I'm out the back door. What would that say about my current faith? It would say that my professional position or vocation as a pastor was actually more important to me than God himself. Right? If the relationship can't survive a major change in life. And this is where Jonah is. God has done something utterly unexpected, and he's out because his shelter, his sukkot, and maybe the very promises of God seem to be wobbly. In the book of Jonah, God had the very first word, which was go, go to Nineveh and preach. In the book of Jonah, God is also going to have the very last word. And here's what they are. The Lord said, Jonah, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And also, I mean, a lot of animals. God ends by working with Jonah's concern or his attachment for his shelter, for his vine. I won't call it a major concern initially. It means the vine. We're concerned with lots of small things. 
right? Traffic, grocery shopping, pets, late metro trains, sports teams, video games, how clean your kitchen counters are. We are concerned with bigger things, Lord willing, parents who might need care, the well-being of our children, paying the bills, impeachments, coronaviruses, climate change, just to name a few. These big concerns, the small ones sometimes, they make us wonder, where, where is the shelter? Into all of these human concerns, God speaks. Jonah, you're concerned. Totally valid. And God says, would you like to know what concerns me? And God says, what really concerns me, Jonah, is people. You people. You precious, you precious people. You precious, clueless people who don't even know your right from your left most of the time. And also, I mean the animals. I think we're supposed to laugh at the last line of the book of Jonah. I mean, I think this is like a one-liner from God, like a drop-the-mic punchline at the end of this whole saga and story. Nineveh abounds in livestock the way God abounds in love for humanity. And they had a lot of cows. How do we not remember this chapter? Like, it's kind of funny. It's got a parable. It's got some devastating stuff. I think we don't want to remember this chapter in the Bible because its message is so uncomfortable. One of the implications of this part of the story is that Jonah is an Israelite first and a child of God, a follower of God, second. Sure, Jonah begrudgingly obeyed and went and preached to the great city, but he preached to all these people without actually caring about the people. Like, that's a bad place to be. Those people over there, those terrorist Ninevites, those people in the mustard yellow jerseys, I mean, those people who are just, ugh. But God's concern for people runs so deep, and this is what the book of Jonah is ultimately about, the heart of God and the mystery of this little parable that Jonah lives. It is trying to demonstrate to God's prophet, who should be clued into the heart of God by now, that God loves having compassion and mercy on folks who are the most unlikely candidates for it. And the book of Jonah ends with a question. Again, no response. And it's a cliffhanger of a question. What is Jonah going to do? Is he going to take his own life? Is he going to pout outside the city forever? Is this story going to change his heart? Is it going to dawn on him? By the way, I think the Bible leaves us with this final question so that everybody who follows in Jonah's footsteps will get to this final question and be forced to look in the mirror of faith and ask the same question. We who are so concerned about cars and pets and geraniums Will we also share the heart of God and the concern of God for what's most precious to him? People. Or will we be like Jonah? Is there an alternative? Here's the alternative. Don't be like Jonah, at least the part of the story that we know about. 
Instead, God's answer to this question, should I not have concern for these 120,000 people and even the animals? The right answer to that question comes through Jesus himself. 700 years after Jonah, the Assyrians, they were wiped off the world stage. No more Assyrians. It was the Romans. I mean, the Romans who were terrorizing Israel. The Romans who were in control of Israel. The Romans who threatened the shelter around any individual person of God. The Romans who threatened God's collective shelter around Israel itself. The Romans who threatened the line of David and the promise that someday God would raise up a ruler, a Messiah, through the line of David. Rome threatened all of those things. How did Jesus respond to the Romans? Jesus responded to the terror of his time by giving himself fully and completely. Unlike Jonah, Jesus gave his body to a cross. Jesus allowed Roman soldiers to beat and scourge humiliate and torture him. Jesus allowed his lifeblood to be drained because of Roman spikes and a Roman spear. Jesus incarnated the heart of God toward every enemy, every outsider, every person who has ever done their worst. Jesus gave himself fully because people are precious to the heart of God. I don't know what you've done, what you've said, what there is in your life that would maybe be decent evidence that you're not fully on the same page as God yet. But I do know that if Jesus did that for the Romans, He is doing that for you right now because you are precious to the heart of God and Jesus came to prove it in the flesh. Like the Ninevites, we may go through a lot of life not knowing our right hand from our left, making mistakes all over the place. But Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus personifies God's compassion, his loving kindness, and God's desire to turn away from our destruction. Jesus is so much the Son of God and so wise and also so brilliant that he sums up this entire thing in three words. Love your enemies. Those three words from Jesus perfectly encapsulate the entire message of Jonah and indeed God's heart toward humanity. Love your enemies. Let's think small for just one final minute about this. It's too hard to like love all the Russians or love all the whoever the enemy country of the United States is. That's not what I'm talking about. In your life, There probably is a person 
They might be in your extended family. They might be in your corporate life. They might be on your block. Who, if you heard the word Jesus say to you, I'm asking you to love your enemy today. Like, can you picture who that person is? I mean, the most annoying person in your life? Can you give me some feedback here? Yes? Can you picture this person? Because we're trying to get real with the Word of God here. Like, this is not the vague people in the yellow jerseys. Like, this is somebody who actually bothers you. And if you want to make Jonah real in your life, if you want to let Jesus have a little more of you, man, this is an awesome challenge. Find some way to show some genuine concern for that person. I'm not telling you how to do that. It could be being something kind. It could be they need to hear something come out of your mouth that might be semi-difficult for them to hear, but you haven't loved them enough yet to actually disclose the truth. But if you are willing to take a step out of concern and compassion in Jesus' name toward even that person, I promise you, just that little obedience God will take that little act of obedience and throw open the window of faith and your ability to receive his grace and contentment and peace in some awesome ways. You don't have to love all the Ninevites. Just start with one. So the book of Jonah ends with this cliffhanging question. However, we have the book of Jonah. How did it get written down? You know what I'm saying? Like, Jonah must have told this story to somebody. This is a hopeful word, church. If you behaved as disobediently and foolishly as Jonah did, my temptation would be to keep that story under wraps in my basement forever. Right? Who would tell this kind of story about themselves? Only someone who grew to be 100% solid in God's love, who came to know God's forgiveness and the abounding contentment and comfort and peace that comes from that. That is what this meal is for. That is what Jesus' body and blood are for, to remind you of God's forgiveness, to give you, to bring you to this place of deep contentment so that even your failures and mistakes don't matter so much anymore. You could even write a book about it. If God's compassion could change Jonah to the point where he published a scroll for all the world to know, then God's forgiveness can change anybody and anything. It can even change me. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the story. We thank you for the troubling ending that forces us to ask this question. Are we on board with your heart toward even the worst of people, God? God, this I know. Your heart was kind toward me. How can I do anything else but to share that with folks around me? God, help us. Help us receive your gifts that are right in front of us now and have the courage to share them as we go out from this place into the world. In Jesus' name, amen.